Hey, listeners, do you fucking love music? Because we do. And if you fucking love music, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash on the record music, where for just $5 a month, you can have access to our private podcast where we go in depth on albums, do extended album reviews, do impromptu shows, do live shows, legacy albums, lots of great content on the Patreon, on the private podcast, because we want to share our love of music with the entire world. Look, it's really fucking easy these days to put out a video on YouTube and say, here's why this band sucks, or here are the worst songs out today, or or this song or this album is just crap. It's all clickbait. And that's not who we are. We love music. and We love sharing music. We love talking about music. We are musicians. We are music listeners. We go to concerts. We go to festivals. And that's what we want to spread to the world. And you can help us do that. If you believe these same things that I'm talking about right now, please consider joining us on Patreon. We know you have a choice with what to do with your money. And we hope for just $5 a month, you consider supporting us so we can continue to spread this message and continue our mission of just fucking rocking. So if you would, please go to patreon.com slash on the record music and join us. Now let's get fucking rocking. Hello, hello, you are listening to On The Record Music, a music podcast for those who just fucking love music. In today's episode, we have a special announcement about the future of our podcast, and then we're going to dive right into Tame Impala's new album, The Slow Rush, doing a track-by-track analysis and giving our string rating at the end. We really appreciate you listening. If you get any value from this at all, we ask that you share this with just one other person, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your teacher, your students. I don't care. Just one other person. That'd be awesome. You can also follow us on Instagram at On The Record Music. And if you'd like to shoot us an email to give us some feedback or talk with us, you can hit us up at ontherecordmusicpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page coming soon, so stay tuned for updates about that as well. We'd also appreciate a nice review if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts. That'd be greatly appreciated. Anyway, no more time talking. Sit back, let your ears melt, enjoy the show. They hand you a joint as you walk in. It's like in. having a leadoff hitter that hits two ten. Well, you know, Jesse, you're wrong because you can never have enough guitar. How's solo. that high life doing? <laughs> it's empty. <laughs> Love it. I think we have some big news to explain to the whole world for this week in music, don't we? Well, I think we might. Ben and I, Jesse, have just purchased Bonnaroo 2020 tickets. Roo, baby! So, the question is, we got to sync up our schedules, but we're going to try to definitely get there for uh, the four or five days, right? Because it starts the Wednesday, doesn't it? It opens up Wednesday night, I believe at 8 p.m. There's no music on Wednesday the festival grounds you can show up and set up your campsite starting on wednesday oh so the grand old opry thing is then on thursday correct yes okay nice that would be so fun to see yep music usually starts around mid afternoon on thursday at some point Mm -hmm. and then doesn't stop until tame and paula plays their last song on sunday night oof that's gonna be a nice nice weekend for us and uh we're gonna set up uh we're gonna set up some grounds there too so we're gonna hope to talk to some musicians to talk to some concert goers aren't we yeah we are going to bring the podcast to bonnaroo and do some live recording details are still very much in the works but we're excited to announce to everyone that we will be recording and broadcasting from bonnaroo 
Yep. And we're excited to reach out to many musicians and concert goers to just talk music and just uh, have fun with people, see what they're up to, see what they're listening to, and open up the doors for us and open up our ears a little bit more, too. It's going to be great. There's no festival experience like the Bonnaroo experience, so I'm really excited mm-hmm. to bring you there, and I'm yes. also excited to bring our show there and then share that with the listeners across the world. You're going to break my Bonnaroo cherry, so let's uh, let's drop it in an old-fashioned and uh, let's party out up down there. Oh, we're going to have a great fucking time. Yeah. So uh, this will be my first time going to Bonnaroo, and I'm so excited. Can't wait. This is going to be fun. So you got to teach me the ropes. Um, I'm already going to order that hydro pack because that looks absolutely wonderful, and I like water a lot. Yes, though that's like hands down a must. We'll get into the nitty-gritty details, but it yeah. gets pretty hot in Tennessee in June and you don't want to be without water. Yeah. So does this mean that since it's going to be so hot that I won't be able to get to wear a, you know, kind of nice little segue here. I won't be able to wear my wonderful black dead lucid t-shirt. Do you think it'd be too hot for that? Or should I just still rock it out? Well, if you suck, it's too hot. (laughs) I think, I think you'll be, well, I don't know. You can pull it off for a while. But eventually, you might want to take the shirt off. Yes, we are wearing yeah. Dead Lucid t-shirts. I'm wearing mine right now yeah. as we record. I saw Dead Lucid, let's see, it would have been February 23rd, yep. a couple of weeks ago as of this recording, February 23rd, 2020. Saw them after shortly just after we released their podcast about their EP, and I got to see them live and chat with them for a little bit. It was great to finally meet them and see them live, and they fucking kicked ass. Yeah, you're saying that they had really good personalities on stage, that they were just rocking. What a what a great opportunity to see them at their uh, at their EP drop, you know? Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Well, speaking of Bonnaroo, we mentioned that uh, Tame Paul was going to finish that little scene, right? And uh, what brings us here today there, Ben? Yeah, that is a good segue. So Tame Paula is headlining Sunday night of Bonnaroo, and that's who we are talking about today. So they just released an album called The Slow Rush. And so we're going we're going to dive through it track by track like we normally do. So we'll go through each song, we'll play some snippets, we'll listen to it, we'll talk about it, and at the end we'll kind of wrap it all up and give our six string rating out of six strings because we don't do stars on this podcast because it's yeah, a music no. podcast. We're guitar players, so we vote on six strings. Yeah, yeah. We bring the noise with that little strike of the code. But yes, slow rush that we released it. Is the Soul Rush is the name of the album. They released it on uh, Valentine's Day, and, you know, that's kind of a cool little uh, Valentine's gift to every lovely out there, don't you think? This is a phenomenal, like, little uh, gift for everybody. It's an album that's kind of been highly anticipated since Currents came out. Tame Impala, mm-hmm. specifically Kevin Parker, has kind of taken the world by storm and really blown up, not out of nowhere, because he's been doing this for quite a while now, mm-hmm. but... This album is probably the most hotly anticipated album in the existence of Tame Impala, and to get it on Valentine's Day was a nice little love treat for all of us. Yeah, you know, it definitely because of the 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 great work done on uh, was it 2017 that they released Currents? Yeah, 2000 no 2015. So 2015's Currents, I mean, they 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 kind of crossed in from that kind of psychedelic and kind of spacey sound into this great electronica pop world along with it. This had a lot of eyes and ears uh, uh, waiting for it. 
and on a Valentine's Day weekend, which is when I first started listening to it, you know, it was uh, it was definitely a great little warmth to the ears. When is the first time you've gotten to know this little band from Australia? Actually, I don't even know what accent that was. That was a completely wrong accent. But um, when when did you meet the boys from Down Under? I would say it was probably about 2012. I don't know exactly, so I'm just estimating. But it was around 2012, and this was back in the day of digital files. This was really before streaming was too much of a thing. So it was right around when Lonerism came out. And I had a buddy who gave me like a, a thumb drive that had a bunch of music on it. And this was, and Tame Impala was one of the bands that was on here. So I listened to it and I listened through Lonerism and I, I thought it was pretty good. That was about the first time I remember kind of hearing about Tame Impala and really getting into them. Yeah, you know, I was just a little bit behind you. I think this was around the same time that we had just met, but I think it was the summer of 2013 is kind of when I uh, first discovered them. My friend Jesse Huff of Huff and Rapsis Music, he he was the one that kind of popped open or popped my ears open to them. Um, he t- showed me their song off of Lonerism, um, Feels Like Going Backwards. Feels Like We Only Go Backwards, and that that yep. song just was felt so wonderful. That song is just great. And then when you listen to the whole album and you find a song like Elephant, which was the previous single, um, that thing just punches you in the gut. And it's such a beautiful, uh, beautiful, like psychedelic jam, you know. So that whole album really kind of captured me. And so then I also listened to Inner Speaker and that one kind of felt a little more raw compared to what Lonerism was. And it felt so wonderful. So those two outputs really made me a good Tame Impala fan. I love the song Elephant so much. It's just such a kick-ass song. Just doom, 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 Yeah. It's I mean, could song. you imagine? I mean, you would have to, to reproduce that just as a regular stage band. You'd have to get two drummers, two bass players, and like just one keyboard player and then one guitarist. It's amazing, speaking of that, watching Tame Impala live because... They have a full sound when they play and on their records. By the way, I think it's important just to distinguish. So Tame Impala is the name of a band, but really Tame Impala is Kevin Parker. So for Mm -hmm. those of you who aren't familiar with Tame Impala, the band is one person who does all the writing and recording, and that is Kevin Parker. He started doing this in 2007, and he just made some stuff in his home and put it out on MySpace and just gain some traction, and then since then has put out four albums. Obviously, going on tour, there is a live band, so there is a touring band that he plays with, but when they play live, there's only four or five of them. I can't Mm -hmm. think of off the top of my head, but it's not like there's 10 or 12 people on stage, which there certainly could be based on just what you hear, but it's done pretty minimally for how big their sound is. He's been popping this stuff just all all of his career, and it's been amazing that it's been amazing to actually see the growth of like how he's expanding that sound actually too, and layering it very very well. And it's it's kind of just crazy to see that it's just mostly one person's vision and uh, creativity. Have you seen Tame Impala? I have not, and that's usually that's it's one of the rare occasions where um, I have not. But they've sold out every time that I've tried to see them in the Twin Cities. I just have never had the opportunity to to catch the show there. It's always been sold out. So uh, you've seen them twice now, right? I have. 
So I've seen Tame Impala twice. The first time was in May of 2015. It was May 13, 2015, and that was at First Avenue in Minneapolis. That was the first time I saw them. They played with uh, Mini Mansions. It was the band that opened for them. <laughs> That's uh, a really cool name. <laughs> yeah, very cool name. The show itself was really cool. This was the show, or at this show, and I think he was doing this a lot at the time, but he was running his guitar signal through some sort of light projector. I don't know the science behind it because that's not my forte. But every time he would like hit a note on his guitar, the screen behind him, there was like a digital like laser signal and it would fluctuate based on the way he was playing his guitar. And so at one point during the concert, he's just like, his back is to the crowd. His back is to all of us. And he's just playing his guitar and watching like the signal bounce around with all of us. It was really cool. No way. Yeah, super wild and out there. And now they're playing arenas, which is something crazy, you know. I've always fantasized about seeing bands in a smaller venue and then they make it to the larger venues and go, Yeah, I got to see them at First mm-hmm. Avenue. I got to see them at the turf club with a thousand people or with three hundred people and now they're playing for eighteen thousand people. So yeah. it's kind of cool experience to see that. So I will say for this show, though, the crowd kind of sucked, mostly because of one person and one small group of people. But overall, felt the crowd was just a little more aggressive than what you might expect for a Tame Impala. You'd think that'd be kind of laid back, everyone just chill, stone, chilling. But for some reason, everyone seemed a little aggressive. Maybe there was something in the air that night. Well, might have been just the uh, they might have taken the song Elephant a little too closely trying to swing in their big trunks around, you know, that's probably what was happening. Just trunks <laughs> everywhere. Just, psh, 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 psh. Look at me. Psh, psh. But you got a big dick syndrome. And I believe I talked about this in episode 17, which is mosh pits and life in the crowd. And you can hear us talk about the different people that you run into at a concert. What was happening was there was this group of people. It was maybe three or four people. And there was this one woman, girl, I don't know, she, it seemed like this whole group was like 18 years old. And since this was five years ago, so now they'd be in their early 20s. So I was probably, I was in my mid 20s at this point. And they, every time they kept leaving the crowd and coming back in, leaving the crowd and coming back in, which I get it sometimes happens. You got to go to the bathroom, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. It's preferable that that's done between the sets, but sometimes you got to go when you got to go or whatever. But it was the whole group that was leaving. That was what really fucking pissed me off was it was like all three or four of them. And this girl who was leading the group was not polite about it. She was fucking charging like just a stampede. She was just like elbows up, pushing people to get in and out of their spot quote unquote their spot I think once you fucking leave your spot is gone like forget about it if you leave you are not entitled to go back to that spot maybe if you've got someone waiting for you there but if you leave during the set you're not entitled to that so I'm even getting heated up about this now and this was five years ago and I'm still fucking pissed about it I know but I can see the vein in your forehead just an asshole and it just really ruined the show not ruined the show but like it made it a bad experience for sure. And at one point I was getting fed up with this and I threw a little hip check just to kind of 
knock her off the warpath a little bit just to let her know like hey that's not fucking cool <laughs> but that moment aside that concert was still really good so that was the first time i saw tame impala the second and said, time and you said kevin parker fuck you no yeah. like kevin you got to reel these people in what's going on why yeah you- go lighter go lighter in the next album please so the next time i saw tame impala was just over a year later this was in 2016 so this was at bonnaroo where we will be seeing them yeah. and this one i also have a story so i've so far i've got stories for every tame impala concert i've been to so tame impala played might have been Friday night, but they played at like 1230 a.m. So it might have technically been Saturday morning. So at this point, we've been out in the sun for a couple long days. It was hot. Everyone is a little tired. I was a little tired, I guess. And I was I was at the show by myself because the people I was with, they were going to something else or they wanted to see something else. Um, and what happened was I was kind of near the front actually. And I had started smoking some weed like one does. And all of a sudden I couldn't see, like I just straight up could not see, like I lost my vision. This had never happened to me before. And it's never happened to me since, but I was standing there and all of a sudden I was just like, I couldn't fucking see. I I knew what was going on. Like I knew where I was and like, I didn't lose like it. I thought I was tripping because I was like, what the fuck? But I was just smoking weed and I wasn't doing any acid or anything. And so I like I took a knee and like I would just tried to drink some water and like just get my body to be like, dude, what the fuck's going on? And someone near me was like, put their hand on my shoulder. Like, are you OK? Are you OK? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I just need to like get out of here. And we were like kind of <laughs> by the front um, separating like the pit from the main area and there was like a security guard or something and this person someone next to me was like hey this guy needs like help getting out of here and i was like well i'm i'm kind of okay but like whatever and he's like you got to go to the back you like you i can't let you out this way you have to walk back and i was like damn it like i was hoping they could just kind of let me like sneak yeah. around and get out so i had to like fight my way through this crowd like half blind and I ended up like just getting towards the back where it thinned out and I was able to just to like sit down and chill out and watch the rest of their set from the back. But that was just a wild experience. I think it was, I just chalked it up to like a little, I was probably a little dehydrated, which is why I recommend yes. the hydro pack because you can never have enough water. No, no, exactly. I think I was just dehydrated and tired. I don't know what else it could have been because it's never happened to me since. And that was the first time it ever happened to me. So two for two on stories at Tame Impala. Can't wait till I get a third crazy story at this next time at Bonnaroo. I think at Bonnaroo we'll definitely be making a third and possibly a fourth one. <laughs> we'll do the pre-arrest and then the post-arrest. <laughs> Oof. God, I hope I don't get arrested at Bonnaroo. No. Well, it, you know, well, we, we'd be stuck in the south there in Tennessee, so that might be kind of weird. Yeah, you don't want to get arrested in the south either. They're, it's a whole different beast. I know. Them bastards. Them fucking bastards. Now, shall we uh, talk a little bit about the album? Um, in particular, we'll start with the album cover. It's a kind of an indoor red room filled with sand. You know, I, I'm i trying to, you know, I, I was kind of trying to look up like what the name of this kind of like windows were that are in there. So the description of the, of the album cover is just one bedroom. It has a pretty good size window um, where it's kind of two different panes. 
on the window. It's like a series of 10 or 12 at the top, and then it has its regular kind of fold-open windows. Uh, and there's sand that has come through that window, and the bedroom door from the other side has sand kind of uh, erupting through there. Uh, the room is red, and it's just kind of like a a, a, a burial of, um, because this has a lot to do with time, I was kind of thinking of like the sand, um, the sand clocks where yeah. you flip it over and it kind of does that. And I was kind of thinking that's how Kevin is kind of trying to portray this about uh, kind of like time and uh, flooding into your own home, flooding into your heart kind of a thing. Uh, time kind of passes by with that. Um, yeah, that's the only thing I could really get kind of, a, of an illusion w- with the ties to the album what did you kind of see with this? It was kind of an interesting cover. I love the look of it. I mean, the I, color scheme is wonderful. I think you nailed it. That's exactly what I picked out. It's I love the color scheme, the reddish tint to everything, mm-hmm. the orangish reddish tint, super cool. I think that it just creates this kind of sense of urgency vibe that I get from looking at it. It's very psychedelic. But to your sand point, yes. So this album, as we'll talk about a lot, is centered around the concept of time. Kevin Parker was obsessed with time in this album while he was recording it. He talked about in an interview, um, the past, nostalgia, memories, anxiety about the future, being confident about the future. So it's all about time in different perspectives of time. So the sand is representative, I'm certain, of the sands of time. That's exactly what this is about. So I think it's cool. It's a cool metaphor for this whole album. Cool cover. I think it's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. It, it does have that touch of psychedelic, but it also kind of feels like it's, I don't know, I, I like the look of it in the sense of it's got like kind of a a Latin feel to it, but there is no like Latin music in, in here that often. Or there's a couple bongos, if I remember, in, in a, a couple songs, but yep. it really kind of has that brightness to it. And it's kind of, I think, um, kind of counter to like how he's really um, feeling about time or like his confusion throughout time as he's trying to discover his own solutions through these questions he has. Absolutely. So really quick before we dive in, um, give me just a quick 10, 15 second overview overall of this album. Give us. You know, this one is, this one's a slow roller, even though each song does seem like it goes by real fast. It, it is, it feels slow. It feels spacious it, it is so layered. So it is kind of like the waves of time coming through um, in strengths. But then there's also moments of, of stoppage or, a, you know, kind of like a blip and stuff. And if you kind of know a little bit of our history and time as human race, we have quite a few dark moments and, and lost time in our calendars and our uh, history keeping. So there is no real way that we know... Um, if we've captured the full time. So it feels like there's blips in it. And that's what's kind of um, wonderful about this, the feel of this album and the the general um, foundation of the idea of time. Um, I just really feel like it's got that, when he talks about slow rush, it definitely has that spaciousness with it. So I really like it and that kind of play of the waves of time. God, you and that weed right now is, is probably a perfect combo for you, huh? Oh baby, and you know the new how the new apartment smell is phenomenal to go with it. Oh man, yeah, I would agree again with you mostly on this. It's very expansive sonically. It's all over the place. I'll get into the more nitty gritty at the end. I think the mixing is fantastic on this one. 
creating just an expansive sound. Um, yeah, that that's where I'll leave it for now. And then when we get into our string rating at the end, I'll dive into it a little bit more. So what say you? We get into this album. I say you. I say right. you write. I'll take so, the lead on this one then. Track you have number to, one, One More Year. I just didn't have a good transition. is a really we got to talk about how this starts off as an album just not just as a song but i really like the beginning where it's an oscillating vocal piece kind of and it's kind of it has indiscernible lyrics at first but once you listen to the song you kind of realize that it's just kind of this one more year kind of chant that he has and then just has about 25 seconds and it's got that slight drum beat that just fades slowly in it's got that nice light synth also emerge from that oscillating sound I think this is a nice, especially when you're talking about the slow rush, this is a great way to start an album, not just a song, but just an album in general. You're absolutely right on that. The slow build-up to everything, and I didn't even think about it from the perspective of like starting off the album, but that's a great way to look at it, because you're just slowly building in into this album, this slow rush coming in, and all those little intricacies right away that I talked about just in that little preview, you start to kind of hear some of them. So like letting those drums come in on their own and then you start to hear like little bits of guitar starting at around like 107. There's that a synth that kind of hovers around as you get it to about a minute and a half in. The bass sits super low. Like when you're, if you listen to this on headphones and might have to forgive me because I've really just been getting into mixing on my own lately and so I'm, I'm starting to become a lot more descriptive with this but like I feel like when you're listening to the bass it kind of feels like it sits at your jawline mm-hmm. so it's super low so, and that, that's what I thought about the mixing on this one because everything has its own space and its own place and this song exemplifies that right from the get-go there's echoes on the vocals at like a minute 50 just before two minutes it pans back and forth so there's all this little bits and tiny bits of intricacy that go into this first song and really sets the stage for the rest of the album no oh, definitely and especially that bass line that really kicks in about 130 and that's right kind of like right where i noticed it too so great little spot for it um you know it doesn't uh it comes in with, uh, the mixing on it is so wonderful the it, it's just the way that the instruments kind of flow in and out as well um the bass is a great uh great sign of that as well um but the synth just kind of floats everywhere and you feel you feel kind of that spaciness that that lift of gravity on you when you're listening to it and it's and it is moving from ear to ear when you're listening on the headphones especially it's just floating in your head and you really do if you just close your eyes high or not i really do think that just it does make it does lift you up quite a bit and that's a great effect to do that because it was more affecting me this song affected me more feeling uh, through the music than it did lyrically i would say yeah um, but this one um, really just kind of felt like laying in a hammock just out in an 80 degree weather you know yep and that's true for most of this album i think this is one you feel the music the lyrics are kind of cool throughout this album and kind of interesting 
what he's talking about, but they're a little cryptic mm. and a little mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with one song being the exception, and that's track four, which we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah. this is definitely one of those you feel. So anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, if you haven't listened to the album, or even if you have, go back and listen to it. If you got a nice pair of headphones or a nice pair of speakers, and throw this on there because you're going to hear all these little details that you might not hear if you're just listening to on your phone or with some cheap headphones. Yeah, the way that he kind of shapes this music too, it does feel like it kind of, it it does match the lyrics a little bit, but I just feel for some reason that the lyrics just fall a little flat. It's not really deep in exploring time yet. I mean, that comes a little bit deeper, but he is definitely setting the tone for the uh, the backbone of uh, his lyricism and his ideas of time with this song, I think, it, and I think the time, the, the lyrics and the music do blend well together. But the music does take a little bit higher ground. It almost serves as like an introduction song to the mm-hmm. album, not so much a this is a song with a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and a bridge and an outro. This is more to me. It almost kind of sounds like intro music. In just the yeah. way it's kind of got that dance, this dance beat going on throughout the whole thing, and it just kind of carries that same tone, just kind of setting the stage of like, let's get, let's all get on that same page, get in the right mindset, mindset together for the rest of this album. Well, I would say, uh, shall we head on to our next destiny of, uh, of jams? Yeah, let's do it instantly while we're at it. All right, we know how quick we are with the guns. Track two, instant. I'm about to do something Yeah, this one's a pretty sweet little beginning. It's got that little scratching guitar kind of in the beginning. It's kind of like a missile launch, you know, you know, kind of like the whistling badly. <laughs> but then it quickly, you know, kicks in with the chorus and, and Kevin's really good high-pitched voice coming in and Really good kind of sounding chorus that kind of just crawling almost, but it's fast crawling. You know, it's like almost like a being, uh, it's like drowning almost uh, in the sand of time, maybe. It's very noticeable right away. And since he starts off with the chorus, it really just establishes that as kind of the center of the song. Mm -hmm. He does do something really cool, which I can only describe as like a false chorus. But it's repeated throughout the song. But the first time it shows up is at about 48 seconds. And the way the chorus starts off is when he says, I'm about to do something crazy. But there's a little bit there where it just repeats the, I'm about to. And it sounds like the first time I heard it, the first couple times, I always thought that was going to bust back into the chorus. Mm-hmm. But then it goes right back into the verse. And it happens a couple, several times throughout the song. And it's like the, I'm about to, and you think it's going to go yeah. into the rest of the chorus, then it doesn't. Just a cool mm. little detail that yeah. kind of gets you excited for the chorus and then rips it right away and says, nope, not quite yet. Got to wait. No, that was one of my very, very favorite parts about this. Um, because with, when he does that lead into, if you look at the actions that he's talking about in um, the very first verse, you know, I'm about to, let's cause something permanent just so we know we can. So it's like he goes, I'm about to do something crazy. And then if you look at that action when he does that in that first verse, it's like he's doing it for the wrong reasons, you know? And it's like, that is crazy to be doing it for the wrong reasons. 
just because you can. There is no consequences just because you can until you actually live it through. So I really like how he did the placement of that, um, you know, because then in verse two, it really works as well. You know, when he says, I'm about to, I see it now. And then when I'm about to, you're so clear now, meaning that he can kind of see through the, the bullshit that he, you know, made the mistake from before. Wow. Yeah. I, that's the way that I saw it. And I loved the way that he did that. And that's probably one of my favorite, this is easily one of probably one of my favorite top songs of the whole album, just because of that concept. But the music in it is just so much great too. But if we're just talking about that, that's what I saw with that. And I was like, that's fucking clever. Wow, that's cool. I didn't pick that out because what I did pick out was the drumming on this song. And again, I'll say this, I probably said this so many times throughout the rest of the album, but if you listen to the drums on this song, they're super tight and it's so cohesive, but it's not a drum machine. Kevin Parker thinks of himself first and foremost as a drummer. So he does all the drumming on these tracks too. And his drumming is so tight. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like a drum machine. When you listen to these songs, you just assume that Tame Impala, someone created these on a computer. But he drums these all out, and he plays this all out, and his drumming is amazing, and I think worth noting. No, no, I never knew that he was like consider himself as a drummer, but... Oh, that's pretty sweet, because I tell you what, some of his synth work on this shit is phenomenal. Like, if you look at 220... Or if you listen to the 220, the synth just takes over and then it just sounds so delicious, especially when those sweet little synth horns in the outro yep. kind of like just kind of take over for a little bit. So fucking awesome. I just love the way that it kind of gets in there and in and out and it flows so well. Great work on the synth. I mean, he's just popping all over it. Excellent synth work. Synth work I would agree. Well, have we hit the borderline of this song and uh, we hit on to the third? Track number three, Borderline. I loved how it began. I've always loved it, especially when it was a single. I think, was this the first single? I believe it was. It was definitely one of the singles, if not the first single. Yep, I think it was. And so ever since I remember hearing this, I love the nice drum beat and the the sound effects, um, which kind of swoosh around. Um, It's just like kind of like the industrial version of time, it feels like. And it feels like it's like mechanical almost. And it's a really kind of good interpretation of um, looking at it in different aspects like that. So we saw like the softness of time and now we've seen like kind of a more mechanical version of it. This song is, as I would describe, the concoction for catchy. It's simple, but it's groovy. It's got a groovy beat and a groovy bass to it. And it's got a memorable melody. So even if you don't know the words, everyone can sing that chorus. Walk the borderline, da-da-da-da-da, even if you don't know the words. The words. You, you still know the melody, so it's, it's got that recipe. So no brainer to me why this is was the first single released. Yeah, this and is gonna I, be the one that people are gonna cheer loud for when it gets played at the shows. Yeah, this one is kind of one of those where you drop this like about you probably drop this about in the middle, you know, probably about five six songs in just to get everybody back on the train, you know. Yep. This song is kind of cool because this is the one. This is one of the songs that I finally kind of got into. 
the a deeper meaning of it and to me it kind of comes across it seems to be about maybe about his rise to fame kevin's rise to fame and kind of mm-hmm. the weight and fra- fragility it carries walking that borderline of enjoying it uh without letting it get to you and kind of also that mix of like being well known and being famous yet still being alone or feeling alone mm-hmm. and there there's just a couple lines that kind of i thought stood out and emphasized that so he says at one point asking how i managed to end up in this place to me i kind of saw that as like end up here you know now playing big arenas being famous caught them caught between the tides of pain and rapture so again to me that kind of comes across of like that difficulty of dealing with fame and the good and the bad that comes with it will i be known and loved is there one that i can trust so the bigger you get the more people try to come into your life and you might not be able to necessarily trust them all and how was i to know this high came rushing so it came rushing in super fast it kind of again to some people might seem like it came out of nowhere I mean, he's definitely been doing this now for 13 years, so he's been working his ass off to get here. But it's one of those, it takes 10 years to become an overnight sensation. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, you're going from your bedroom and you're playing at the Staples Center or wherever in Los Angeles. Like, it happens fast. So whether or not that's what this song is actually about, that's kind of what I took away from it. Yeah, you know, that's actually really cool that you say that because, you know, when you when you think about the smaller venues, it's like you are close together. You are kind of like more of a true community. And so it doesn't feel like you're alone on stage necessarily because you're playing for everybody that's in the room. So if you're playing 7th Street Entry and you're playing for, I don't know, 150 people, you know, it's way different when you're in a Staples Center in the middle of the stage just by yourself or yep. even with just four people there. Yep. You know, but you got 38,000 people around you and it's like, whoa, that's that's way more lonely, I think, on stage. I would agree. It's yeah. got to be. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to say, including about that, um, it's also the outro. Um, it's kind of where I noticed it. But if you also listen to the bridge about one thirty when he starts that, you know, will, will I be known in love? Um, he kind of slithers in with this little slide. It's a, this kind of slithery sound. And I just really love how that came together. But that melody um, is so wonderful in there. And I really think that that boom, that bass booms throughout that thing and it's just together it is such one of those things where you know everybody in the audience is going to be singing with you on that one that one is a home run I think deep to left field way back way back it's gone hey you're in Wrigleyville nearly aren't you yep that's right (laughs) I can see Wrigleyville from my house not quite but it's like a mile away we're pretty close yeah all I could see was just the uh, the street I'm a Twins fan, though, so, like, to me, it's like, eh, you know, it's cool. It's a cool stadium. Yeah, don't don't, but, don't diss on our friends uh, Dead Lucid in case they're Cubs fans. Right, but... Well, actually, I, you can. Right. I'm a Twins fan. <laughs> Bama squad, let's go. Bo-yale. Looking for another good year this year. Anyway, let's uh, kill that track and go on to track four. What do you say? Well, I think you should ask for forgiveness for that, that Bamba. That was a good one. <laughs> I thought it was good. Anyway, track number four, Posthumous Forgiveness. I 
I really like this opening. It kind of brought me back to uh, some like Big Brother and Holding Company. It kind of reminds me now of uh, Summertime by uh, by Janice and the, and the Big Brother Holding Company. But this one is it's a nice kind of like break from the synth because the synth doesn't like heavy in that beginning. It's kind of really cool to get you know some good guitar work from Kevin just to start off the the song and he doesn't disappoint here. It's a really good kind of haunt, haunting psychedelic mix. Very good. I would agree because this one, this song stood out to me right away when I listened to it because this to me is really starting to explore new sound and new territory for Tame Impala. And the first thing, Mm -hmm. I think because it's fresh on my mind, was I picked up instantly vibes of Little Neutrino and Dr. Marvello from Klaatu. Yes. And you can hear us talk more about Klaatu in episode 29 and episode 30, where we get into that whole conspiracy about them being the Beatles. But when I heard this, I was like, holy shit, Kevin's been listening to some Klaatu, maybe our podcast. So maybe we had some influence on him somehow, even though he wrote this months ago, I'm sure. So Kevin, if you're listening, what's up? We're big fans. Hit me up on Instagram (laughs) on the record music. But I picked that out right away. thought that was really cool. This song itself is cool. There's just kind of this pounding, driving beat in the robotic, kind of metallic vocal. Again, that kind of mm-hmm. was, to me, sounded Claw 2-ish. Yeah. Yeah, to me, when you listen to some of the, like, about 1.30, when it kind of has that instrumental break right before going to the second verse, it has a really good oscillating effect, so that's kind of popped in on a couple different... Uh, songs now and it's like really effective because it it draws you into that kind of you know spacey feel but again i was thinking the same thing as you little neutrino and it kind of brought me into that spatial thing and it's like well time and space together and this is kind of him uh, jumping in in on that and it's uh this has really good like build up and power behind it and it's it is a new ground that i was not expecting from uh tame and paul at all Mm mm-hmm how about that jam that hits right about 240 and you have that pounding bass just doom, 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 doom. Mm-hmm. And that synth sounds like a sawtooth synth. I don't know if that's exactly what it is. Sawtooth synth is what Van Halen would play. Uh, I think specifically in Jump. Mm-hmm. Like that song. I, it yeah. sounds to me kind of that similar synth, but that pounding bass and it just jams so hard and Again, I don't want to just keep saying this is Claw 2-like, but that just, to me, kind of sounded very Claw 2-like. Yeah, I know. To me, um, yeah, we're on the same we're on the same page here because I really did feel like it was so much like off of uh, 347 Eastern Standard Time. It really does feel like it's almost a, a copy or just a just a, a tribute because it's so much like it. I, I but it's delivered with i mean it was a very clean recording but this one has a little more i think playfulness in its mix and it's in in, in in its sound in general but it's still fucking kick ass so this song kind of a sad song like if you take it just by the title you can the title alone says like forgiveness after death is basically the song and this is a song that he basically wrote to his dad so the song, mm-hmm. if you if you pick out the lyrics throughout here, you could tell that he's writing the song 
about his dad. And the song takes a twist at about 345 and almost becomes a brand new song. And I think in some shapes and forms, some other artists may have made this two songs, a part one and a part two. But he kept this all one song and it kind of changes the tone and it gets a little brighter and a little more positive. And to me, that first half is kind of him is him expressing the anger and then the second half is him releasing that anger and kind of falling into acceptance and forgiveness and that's kind of where it gets sad where he just says like I want to play you my songs on the phone and hear you sing along when I was talking I had Mick Jagger on the phone I wanted to tell you and so now he's just kind of letting it all out of like I've gotten past this now and I miss you and yeah. it's it's a sad song, you know, just the way he talks about it, and you can tell he's really vulnerable in opening up here and letting it all out for everyone to hear. Yeah, definitely, especially one of the in the very first part of the song when he sings, uh, "Did you think I'd never know, never wise up as I grow?" I kind of figured that this was kind of a, a call to his old man and trying to, or, or his parents at one point. I thought it was his parents, but you said his father for sure. So, you know, it that right there is you know, especially strong with, uh, you know, having to feel like never wise up as I grow, like, you know, smart ass son kind of a thing. But this song lyrically and musically just kind of fits so well. It's definitely one of the top songs I, I enjoyed off of this whole album. Yeah, this is, I can tell you my favorite song on the album mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. All right. Shall we take a breathe? breathe should we take a breath (laughs) should we breathe a little bit deeper here now i gotta catch my breathe (laughs) should i should i catch my breath right now yeah well while you introduce this next song i will breathe deeper myself hey hey, are you tired just take a deep breathe just take a deep breathe track number five is breath deeper oh wait i mean breathe deeper This riff right off the bat, this reminds me of something you might hear off of Lonerism. Kind of a harken back to some of the more original Tame and Paw material. Yeah, definitely a good mix of like where he's at right now and um, kind of like just the callback. Just because that, that light touch of the synth at the beginning with the bass guitar kind of delivering the main riff. It's just fucking sweet, mm-hmm. you know. And like a 48 seconds where that tinkling kind of synth kind of comes in in that left channel. Um, I don't know, it just kind of feels really good against the back of uh, Kevin's vocals. Right after that, the everything starts to get layered on. So keys come in, there's the bass going on, kind of swirling in the center in the back of the mix, and that synth kind of washes over the top and falls into the center of everything. Great layering, great mixing on this track as well. And this is one you you can't help but kind of want to groove to and dance to. I think this will mm-hmm. be one live that'll get people moving. Yeah, it might get them to breath deeper, you know. Um, right. <laughs> if they get too tired, they'll have to take a breathe. I can't take a breathe. Or can't take a breathe. Lizer test. <laughs> so oh, so shit. earlier, yeah, that's that's good. Earlier, you had mentioned bongos, and this is one of the songs that features bongos. They come in kind of behind those dance keys right at about three minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And it just, to me, there's 
all these different sounds like you mentioned like those jingle bells earlier there's just mm-hmm. so many sounds it must take him forever to record this shit because oh. all this layering and all the stuff that he has to put on here not that it's shit because it's gold but yeah correct it's all the things and then to think about it, it's like you know what would be great here some bongos have that thought yeah. process and to put those in there it's i i would love to just see him in his songwriting element although i'm sure a lot of it is kind of just excruciatingly boring because i'm sure it's a lot of him like just dinking around but it'd be cool to see that process oh definitely and you know what i bet you i guarantee you when you when you watch him when you're in that process like he is it's it's just it's really hard work of thinking like what can you do like speaking of the bongos the reason why i really love the bongos the bongos actually came in and replaced the other rhythm so it's like oh you just didn't do the rhythm and then add bongos you had the bongos play a bigger integral part into it and it's like what made you think of that it's like that shit is like so cool like i would love to be sitting down thinking of shit like that yep this song like the last song features kind of one of those abrupt changes just like in Posthumous Forgiveness. And mm-hmm. it, this one isn't as abrupt because it, it does more of a fade out and fade in. But I thought, again, interesting that he's done this twice now of this kind of change. And then you have that new synth come in and basically restart the song. And I caught myself on this one and on track four checking to see, oh, what's the name of this song? Oh, wait, it's still Breath Deeper. Yeah. Still breathe deeper. Or oh, same with Posthumous Forgiveness. Like, oh, what's this song? Before I had it figured out, not realizing, oh, it's still the same song. Interesting. And then it kind of takes this turn and kind of becomes, reminds me of Daft Punk or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was a weird, it was a weird, and, and that's not a bad word, but it was just kind of like one of those things where it's like, whoa, where'd you just take me at? You know, uh, and that happens at about 4.35 where that little break happens that you're yep. talking about. And it's amazing that when I listen to it, it feels like it's still the same song, but it's kind of just like faded and it's they've got other actions going on. Like it's a faded memory kind of thing. That's what I kind of thought it as. But then all of a sudden about like 4.57 it comes back and then it's got that really cool synth or guitar part and it's just is ripping, you know. It's, a, it's like three... Or four parts in one song, and uh, it's absolutely wonderful. Makes me uh, breathe deeper after I get it right. It's definitely cool. I don't know that it's necessary. That was kind of my one critique. It was like, I like this second half of this outro, but I don't know what it really does to the song for me. Really? See, when I listen to this, I think I go back to... um, um, Elton John's song uh, Funeral for a Friend where it kind of starts off that nice and slow and um, then it just picks up and kicks ass at the back end and I think that's kind of like what it does here Um, Elton John's was a little more dramatic but I felt like this fit in pretty well enough where it was like you're right it may not have been necessary but um, it definitely is a great creative idea I like the way that he took it and it kind of you know it makes you I don't know it, it really felt good um, after that little bit long drawl of the of the beginning of it. So uh, should we just make this, you know, tomorrow's dust? Yeah, let's leave track five in the dust and move on to track six, tomorrow's dust. This song 
to me starts out like it could be another part of Breathe Deeper. Mm-hmm. Just the way that song was clipped, it almost seems like that song could have ended, and then you have this kind of rebirth or re- reawakening to kind of carry out part four or five or whatever that would have been following Breathe Deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it was kind of, it feels like more like, you know, that rock on part at the end of Breathe Deeper. It felt like more, it was true dream sequence, and this is him kind of either switching dreams or waking up from the dreams a little bit and popping up. Um, you know, it's got that nice acoustic appreggio that kind of kicks in there. I really love that. So it's like he's, it's kind of like almost Spanish guitarish almost, but it's, um, Oh, it's just very trance-like, almost like uh, meditative. One thing that also made me think that is when he says at the beginning of Tomorrow's Dust, he says, till the morning and the groove is slow, go back to breathe deeper and listen to the melody line in that song. They're basically the same line, more or less. So to me, that's kind of why I thought this could be a part or a continuation of that song. No way. I gotta, I gotta listen to that. I gotta go back and listen to that. That's awesome. Uh, if you listen to about 148, I really love his electric guitar um, in the left channel there. It really just kind of, it just kind of comes in and one of the few sounds that we get of a really good electric guitar. A little bit of overdrive, but it's kind of tame. You know, no pun intended, or every pun intended. Um, it's kind of tame, you know, guitar, but it's, it's got that great buzzing noise with it and it's not distracting at all but it's it's well placed in kind of that left channel later on in the song about 330 in kind of plays that same thing but with a synth and you can kind of hear it just hovering overhead and kind of panning back and forth oscillating around I would describe it as like a helicopter just kind of slowly hovering around in maybe a big circle you can kind of hear it change directions as it sits over top of you yeah, that's kind of like a, like a little spy like on you, you know, kind of kind of felt UFO-ish almost. And then shortly-ish thereafter, towards the end of the song, kind of does the same thing that's happened in the last two songs now. It, mm-hmm. it abruptly changes right around 4.53 or 4, and everything just cuts off. And then you hear talking, you hear vocals in the background like someone's talking in a hallway at maybe a bar or a venue or something and on the other side of the door leading back into the main area you can kind of hear the music which is Tame Paula. to me that's kind of the picture that's created playing in the background and then that's just how the song ends yeah you know i I was kind of wondering what that was like the very first couple times I'm kind of thinking to myself, man, is this kind of like a is this you know in a dance studio or like a yoga class and they're just like dancing or doing exercise and they got tame and fall in the background and I had no clue what was going on back there, and yet it was really fucking cool. I like it uh, I've always enjoyed it every listen I've given it to so this that little play. It's just so fun. So it feels like he's kind of clipping through something and I have no clue what he's trying to get at. Even having listened to it four or five times, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, ooh, I still want to pick these pieces up and kind of solve the puzzle right. and try to get it, like pinpoint like exactly what he's at, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are just wonderful kind of like looks into kind of his creativity of uh, something in his life and that really do mean something because he's been popping these in 
like two or three times now. This is, you know, kind of an interesting way to see this whole piece. Yeah, he's not a guy to do something unintentionally. So there, there's definitely purpose and meaning behind it. Overall, I didn't really care for that song. Just, it's it's fine, but I don't know what it was. There's just something didn't click with me. Wasn't a huge fan of that one, but sometimes that happens. Oh, yeah, definitely not. And so should we try to get you back on track of songs that you might like there, let's, Benny? Let's do it. Track number seven is On Track. I like this one because, again, we're getting a kind of a different feeling at this beginning. You know, just a few faint strikes of the piano. And then, you know... It just comes in a little bit stronger, a little more grand-ish. It's kind of like this grand opening. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of how songs normally start because those big striking chords come in after you kind of already had this intro part. And usually it's the opposite where you start small and slowly build, but he kind of has this everything kind of play out, this piano, doon, 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 and then you get the big doon chords so I thought that was interesting definitely again intentional on that process yeah it kind of brought me back to uh, John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band album where he's got those really striking and long ringing uh, piano chords and this kind of has it but it's a little more electronic filled and it feels like that there's this great synth kind of drive behind a lot of it too so it's like much more sustaining notes and kind of just like carries on with this and his vocals also have a pretty good um, echo on this in the beginning where it's yep. not like too heavy but it's just light enough where it kind of just carries and speaking of his vocals when he says right away he says I let out a breath holding a sigh which I found interesting that to me he's saying I'm only breathing and I'm not sighing so with the title of a song on track kind of makes me think he's kind of addressing like I'm feeling okay like I'm not too stressed out like I'm breathing I'm not sighing because sighing is something you do when you're stressed Mm -hmm. just it's your body's way of trying to relieve that stress and so he's saying things are good like we're on track I'm not sighing I'm breathing let's move forward yeah no I really did feel like lyrically this is one of my favorite ones actually because it feel it felt more positive than most of the other songs on here i just kind of felt like that this was it looked like he was looking really deep within realizing that you know life life does happen and he's still doing fucking you know he's kicking ass you know he's he's doing great and it's like oh you know what i can still be comfortable as as kevin because it's like you know what i've done damn good work and i really kind of like that positivity through this um with this and it kind of is grandiose he's trying to bring it like you know kind of flashy a little bit finally in in this song with with the really big striking uh, synths in there. The concept of this album is, or this song is kind of meta because from what I gathered and I picked some of this up on genius.com, which is really cool. If you don't know genius, it's a lyric Mm -hmm. site, but people can add comments about the lyrics and kind of describe or go more in depth, um, which I thought was cool on this one because people were kind of addressing this song is about the album itself 
And as we know Kevin to be, he's very meticulous and very particular. So his things, his work takes a long time. And so this song is kind of about addressing how long this album is taking. Because originally, I believe it was supposed to come out in August, didn't come out till February. But so he's kind of addressing that fact, like I'm still on track, like in the scope of all of time, I kind of have my whole life to do this, right? Yeah, you know, when you listen to, when you look at, like, especially when on Genius, they say that uh, it was kind of, the song was kind of inspired by Power Ballads artists like uh, Supertramp and Meatloaf, and definitely does sound like that. It has a lot of orchestration behind it, and it's it's kind of flashy like that, you know? Right. What also I like, though, about this concept is, even though it's very specific to him and his life, this song can be universally applied to anyone because you can hear this song and apply it to your life, especially if you're going through a time or you're working towards something. Like It brings that positivity out of you of like, I'm mm-hmm. still on track. Like Maybe I'm not where I want to be. Maybe it's not happening as fast as I want to, but maybe I'm making strides bit by bit. And I think that's some of what the best songs do is they're relatable to people in their own way. So one person can hear a song and think it means this or it means this to them and another person can hear that same song and think of it in a completely different way neither of which are wrong I think that's really cool and I think to me that's a sign of some really good songwriting some really good songs no definitely I like the way that the outro kind of goes um, the hardest part is over adjusting makes it slower so glad you're coming over I just want to bring us closer still on track motherfucker you know it's like if you minus the motherfucker part, even it was like I don't um, remember that being in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, but it's like you know, it's like still on track, and it's just like I really like that kind of outro. The, the words are just amazing. They kind of go out there and kind of like you said, universally, it can be applied to anybody. You know, like I would think of somebody for that, you know, or you think somebody for that, or putting yourself in that position. It's sure. uh, this is definitely one of his better lyrics, lyrics uh, throughout the album. So, um, you know, we're kind of. We're kind of lost today, but should we uh, go back one and, or should we go forward one and get lost in yesterday? Let's move forward to get lost. All right. Track number eight, Lost in Yesterday. This one begins with a nice little uh, synth playing a little couple sustaining chords. Has an awesome little gliding synth note. Leads right into the drum beat and rhythm. And then I'm ready to dance. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. I literally have that marked down. This will get the crowd grooving. It's an insta groove. You know, one of my notes on here, and I think I just put the fucking puzzle together. I, I One of my notes is I wanted to talk about this. I feel like I've... Um, I feel like I've heard this song before. And I think I think this was the song that may have been playing in that in the um you know that little break that happens and I was talking about it sounded like uh, there's talking going on and there there's uh Tame Apollo in the background. Mm-hmm. I think it was this song, wasn't it? I don't know. Or was it still was I, it still uh I think it was Breathe Deeper actually. Was it? Okay. We have to go back on that, but I. But anyway, I feel like I've heard this one, and I. I just wonder if it's because I've I heard this uh, the single, and 
I really love this song. The song's awesome. And I felt like I've heard this like previously before hearing the single. And I still can't figure it out, but I might be just a little bit off. Interesting. Yeah, but I do feel like this is, or maybe it's just so good that it's so familiar because that chorus, I mean, that is so, that is like one of the, probably the catchiest ones that they've had uh, ever, you know? Yep. It's it's really good. This whole song is really cool because just in the title alone, you can tell just by Lost in Yesterday, it is hinting at being lost in the past. So thinking about the past, and I think it's really heavy on nostalgia. In, right away from verse one, when he says, we were living in squalor, wasn't it heaven? Back when we used to get it on four a seven, which I would assume means like partying four nights a seven days a week kind of thing or something. Mm-hmm. But you tend to look back on the past with rose-colored glasses. And I think this is true yeah. for most people because you are so far removed, even if it's a few months ago sometimes, but you're removed enough where you don't feel the emotion that you felt at the time. So you think things were a lot simp- more simple or easier than they were. And I think that permeates itself into our culture today. I think you hear a lot of people harken back, you know, make things great again <coughs> but <laughs> i think we forget that at the those times too we still felt some sort of unease or uncertainty and i catch myself getting lost in yesterday a lot i think mm-hmm. you know i look back of like oh man if only like i realized how easy things were then or like what it was like at this period of time but then i really think about it and it's like i was doing the same shit then about 5 years prior to that and it just it doesn't change. So I think it's kind of a good message just to really embrace what you have in the moment and not get mm-hmm. too caught up in yesterday, even though you can. No, no. Correct. Yeah, it, I think it's I think that's kind of what he's trying to get to uh, with this song and talking about time is that getting lost in yesterday is kind of like a drug, isn't it? We all fall for it at some point. Just even little spurts, especially people that are really good about just looking forward or whatever. They will look back on certain things, including to bring messages you know, forward of not making mistakes. And so, you know, some other people tend to get a little too much with it and, you know, it leads to, you know, more mental problems. And that's like kind of the scary part. So it's like a true drug almost. And I think that's kind of like where he was getting at with, um, you know, with the lyricism and the feeling of the music here. Yeah, really cool song. We didn't even get that much into a lot of the elements, but I think there's some really cool guitar work that riff, the first comes in at about 1.30 mm-hmm. and you hear it again towards the end of the song and it's kind of given that submerged effect to it. Lots of cool little work, that bass riff again just mm-hmm. it's, like we said, it's one of those instant dance groove kind of songs. Yeah, definitely and another little highlight is that instrument break at about 3.05 you know, it has sweet little spots of spaciness, even though it's still a good driving little tune. Um, it just leads perfectly into the pre-chorus. Um, and it's just absolutely wonderful. This song definitely holds up. Um, and definitely I can see why it was a single as well. That's definitely true. Are you sure? It, is it true? It is true. Just is like it true that we have to move on? It is true. Just like track number nine. Is it true? Then 
This song has that nice little soft, punchy bass line to kick in. It kind of feels 70s. I feel like I really want to get some bell bottoms on and just walk down the street kind of, uh, you know, Saturday Night Fever-esque like John Travolta, you know? This kind of has a really good start to it. Yeah, very dance beat, groovy, good call in the 70s vibe. I wasn't able to put words to it, so I think you did a great job. But also, what do you think about the hand claps in there? You don't really hear that a lot in the Thames uh, sound in this one and, and Currents, I don't really recall, so it's kind of cool to see some hand claps. The hand claps stick out so much in this song. They're so prominent, and again, I've talked about this before, especially with the Beatles, but I just love the footage or even just picturing people recording hand claps because mm-hmm. it's something you have to do, and so you have to sit there and just clap with your hands by the mic and you pick that up and record it. And to me, for whatever reason, I just I just think that's funny, that image in my head. So folks on Instagram, feel free to send Ben some hand fetish photos. I'm sure he will be glad to get off on some hand fetish photos. Mm, love a good hand photo. Get it right in front of those mics, folks. I like at 105 at the end of the first verse and kind of like the walk into the chorus. There's that nice deep synth part that just kind of goes and nah just like rocks out right there. I really like it. It's kind of a, uh, a different sounding that they've um, had on this album too. Kind of like what I was talking about with the guitar part um, in, I think it was uh, Breathe Deeper. It was, it, it's just kind of a different kind of all around sound, you know, that just you didn't pick up anywhere else on the album. It's kind of just nice for that one piece. Yeah, it's got that like reverberation to me, like the image that conjures in my head is like a picture, like, you know, one of those like, construction like black tubes that's got like the ribbing in it the divots kind of thing kind of to me if that was made a sound that's the sound it would make because it almost sounds like you hear the bumps and the waves of the sound just riding over it really unique sound and yeah you only hear it once you know again i think there's this little skip here at 235 Mm -hmm. where it kind of it drops off it doesn't like necessarily like stop and then go into something it really just drops and rolls it's like a radio into a smaller production yeah exactly that's exactly what i wrote too and you know this doesn't you know trigger a different approach but it's just it's a great sound to bring to this song and it fits this album because you've you've heard it now three times four times Mm -hmm. well is it time i really think it might be time Number 10. Number 10. It might be 10. This awesome little synth piece just kind of strolls right in in the beginning here. It's got got that ELO kind of feeling or a yes kind of a feeling, you know? And this is another piano part that I kind of felt like I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I don't know if you've got any history behind this one, but I feel like this one I've I've heard before. But, you know, oh, I think it's it has that ELO kind of sound to it. So I think that's what you're hearing. Interesting tidbit, though. So I saw Kevin Parker on an interview. He talked about he was asked the question what music were you listening to at the time of this album and he says I wasn't and Mm. then he goes on to say 
that he doesn't listen to music while he's recording an album because he doesn't want it to distort his mind or his playing because he likes to take the warped idea of what he thinks the song sounds like and then turn that into his own sound rather than being like, I want to create that ELO synth part and then going back and listen to it and try to do it. He's like, here's what I remember it sounds like. I'm just going to try to create it from memory. And then it kind of creates its own sound because of that. Conan O'Brien in a, I think it was like a college grad speech at some college said, um, and this quote stuck with me, it's our failure to become our perceived ideal that ultimately defines us and makes us unique. And to me, that's what that is, where it's, you have this ideal in your head or this idea, this sound in this case of what you're trying to create, but it's your failure to recreate that sound that ultimately creates a new sound. And I think that's what he goes for when he's writing these, these songs is I'm going to try to create the sounds in my head based off of what I've heard. But by doing that, it's not going to be exactly like it. It's like playing telephone. You know, it mm-hmm. starts out like Jesse finished his beer. And then by the time it gets around to the end, it's like Jesse likes to make out with five dudes at once. Like whatever, you know, it just changes by the end of it. Not that that's a bad thing if you're into that. Well, it was uh, the the last one and that was me. It was five dudes with beards. Ah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, no, that's a very good point because uh, I'm that was Conan O'Brien that said that. That's awesome. Yeah. You always yeah. always can trust a good comic to come in with a very good perspective on society he, and, he's a smart and human nature. You know, um, no, that, it totally makes sense to try to not listen to something that would influence um, or send you down a path where it's like maybe you can't escape that, and then you got to kind of chuck it. So. Um, that's really cool that he actually goes through that process because it takes him quite a while to create these pieces of work. So to actually go that long without listening to other music, that's got to suck. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah, I would. I know I wouldn't do it probably, but, uh, you know, just for a thought experiment, why wouldn't I, you know, why wouldn't someone to try it? Yeah, it's a great experiment to give that a shot or at least just even if you're writing on your own, just to avoid referencing music while you're writing specifically because mm-hmm. I do that sometimes where it's like oh I kind of have this song in my head what does it go like and then you listen to it and you're like fuck now all I'm doing is playing like that riff exactly yeah and you get stuck with it it's just like damn it for those people who don't write music it's like getting a song stuck in your head and you can't get it out for like a week so back to the song I think this chorus is great the the melody in it is awesome again the drums mm-hmm. are super good there's a lot of groovy fills the song concept it's super cool so there's a quote from kevin he posted on instagram and he talked about this song specifically and he says the song is about your own inner paranoid thoughts telling you you've lost your mojo and where where drum sound took me about oh sorry and then there's another part and whose drum sound took me about one billion of those four billion years because earlier in the quote he says sorry it's been so long um this song is about that paranoid thought of that you've lost your mojo and he said getting the drum sound on this song took him a long fucking time a long time yeah well and speaking of that kind of like being in the mental state and kind of being lost in your own paranoia right about 307 that kind of like really 
amplifies it with that like nice little screeching noise that kind of slowly creeps in and then it builds up to be louder and it's louder and it's like it's piercing it's almost migraine like and it's just absolutely wonderful i really like how it's it actually um, personifies exactly what his thoughts are in, in uh of creating the song well have we had enough of this glimmer of the song i think we have so we should shimmer on over to track number 11 which is glimmer it's like oh bass cool you know how you make the bass better crank the bass up yeah. you know how to make the kick drum better crank the bass up <laughs> and it's like no not really <laughs> So, it begins with an intro about making the instruments better by cranking the instruments louder or the, uh, you know, it's like crank them up to 11 almost, you know, and then it just kind of kicks into a nice little uh, instrumental mostly. It's mostly an instrumental, I think. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there's kind of that repeating lyric, I just want a glimmer of hope, but I would say yeah. it's, it's pretty much an instrumental. So that talking bit at the very beginning um, in the interview with Triple J, which is a YouTube channel, in the person interviewing him was Lucy Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin said that that's just that audio clip is a clip from a podcast that he was listening to, and oh no way, he just likes the sound of people talking. Says he listens to a lot of podcasts when he's recording, so he's at least doing something. He's not like depriving himself of anything, but mm-hmm. so he listens to a lot of podcasts. And he said that's just a clip from a podcast. That's pretty much all there is to it. Okay, hopefully in three years when he comes up with the next one, we're on one of those. That would be sweet. Ideally, or he's on ours. Exactly. Oh, that'd be sweet. I'll go. To, I'll go to Australia. Kevin Parker for on the record music. You heard it. We're yep. willing it into existence. We're speaking yep. it into existence. Boom. And Jesse and Ben will be glad to sit in the studio with you, not listening to other music. I'll jam. Exactly. I'll hit. I'll push all the buttons. There you go. <laughs> you guys jam. No, this one, I, I tell you what, I like the. I wanted the question about the placement of the song. I understand why this kind of comes back, kind of, but I really do feel like that this could actually be like the second song almost. I, I don't know why. I kind of like this. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I like the, it, it feel, I, this one kind of gets lost in the shuffle, I think, for me. It, it Almost by the end. I don't know. I just don't like the placement of it, even though it is a nice little song for what? How long is it? It's only two minutes, two minutes and eight seconds. And it's like it's a nice little instrumental, but I wouldn't mind have seen this kind of being like a another little kick in to something else at the beginning. Like I feel like if it was song three or four, I might you know feel it a little bit more. But at the end here, it wasn't that much of an impressive song to me, but it's still you know it still had the quality um, production and um, yeah, his vocals are pretty solid in it. Nice little synth part, but it just kind of felt like it got lost in the shuffle almost for me. Totally agree. This one, to me, Glimmer was just kind of an afterthought. I didn't really care for it. I just thought, you know, there, like you said, I think there's a cool kind of painting synth in it. Kind of had a full sonic sound, but so do all the other songs on here. Um, I didn't think there was too much to it. I didn't really care for it. Yeah, even the even the message in it kind of felt nothing that like that strong or didn't feel like it. You know, I want a glimmer of hope, and it's kind of like I would have, you know, I could see you starting that in the beginning, and then you go down this wall, and then you, at the end, would feel like you're, 
you've accomplished something. But when you're still saying at the end, I want a glimmer of hope, it just doesn't fit, it feels like. Yeah. I think maybe different track placement, like you said, could have done the song a little bit better. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. it just kind of got lost. You're already hitting... You're just on track 11, almost on track 12. Not that this album is too long because it's under an hour long. It's 57 minutes. But sometimes just by that point, if you're listening all the way through, you might get a little ear fatigue, especially with how in-depth these songs are. And if you're really paying attention, like they can be tough. So to put that in there, it almost kind of gives your brain a break a little bit and you're just like, okay, whatever, and then you move on. Yeah, should we uh, finish the one more hour? Let's do it. We only have an hour left of this podcast, so hang in there, everyone. We'll get there soon. Track number 12, One More Hour. Just a moment Right before all the sun Yeah, this one's kind of a subdued uh, beginning with a little light synth and Kevin's vocals kind of there and... Then it gets a little bit heavier with that kind of piano hits, you know, and then it stays subtle. I love that guitar that comes in as it gets heavier. Mm-hmm. Very, to me, very Pink Floyd sounding, just that dark, bow, down, 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 which is oh, yeah. funny because, and I don't know if this is still true, but I heard at least one point he had talked about how he never really got into Pink Floyd or it never really clicked with him because everyone's like oh psychedelic music you must be a big mm-hmm. Pink Floyd fan he's like I don't know I don't have a quote or a source on that so I'm, it's just something I'm pretty sure I think I heard him say so it's interesting yeah. that that's the vibe I pick up but I'm sure he's heard no. Pink Floyd so maybe it's definitely just well it's, it's very much like what the it's definitely what what the temples went through when they were uh, with their first album everybody thought that they were like stealing from the Beatles and you must be big Beatles fans and they're like no, we took it more from like the birds and, you know, then a couple other bands that they knew, you know, locally. And so, you know, that, you know, there's different aspects. Well, you might hear a, an artist in their music. Yeah. It just doesn't necessarily mean that they're into that artist as well. They just might, oh, just happen to cross, you know. Right. It's worth pointing out, too, if you haven't picked up on this one, the beginning of the album, the first track is one more year mm-hmm. and track 12 is one more hour. So we're working our way down from a year to an hour. The countdown began and it's about to end, which, you know, it really, you know, you know, when it really builds that fast, you know, about 50 seconds when it's all that heavy stuff in there. I mean, this really does kind of um, it also is very uh, clock two like the way that little neutrino ended the album. And I'm not saying like the music is anything like it, but just the style of music where it kind of it has these big peaks and it's very quiet and kind of subdued and it's kind of a little more spacey. It's like it's encompassing the whole album in one. It's kind of like a big bang almost. Speaking of Clatu and their bass player, which is Paul McCartney, <clears throat> um, right around two minutes, if you listen to the bass line, I thought that was a very McCartney-esque way of delivering that bass line or maybe something in Sub Rosa Subway. I'm mm-hmm. still convinced that Paul McCartney sings and or plays bass on that album you can't tell me otherwise even though supposedly it's not the Beatles I don't know I'm convinced it's him but anyway bass song bass in this song picked up some McCartney vibes in there and thought that was kind of cool exploring that element too and bringing that into this picture 
Yeah, and it kind of is uh, a really good approach this time around. Very melodic, but you know, also production-wise, they they really kind of uh, work with the bass in that sense, where it's like small, hidden, very quiet, but then all of a sudden it pops and it really rocks, and then it'll have some melodic bass behind it. The uh, right about four thirty, you know, they kind of start to play with the mix again, and it sounds great on the headphones. You know, as it's kind of like rebuilding back up and this, the way that the the synth kind of just this rolling synth, very Pink Floyd-ish, you know, that, that kind of rolling synth sound, it very much oscillates and just kind of rolls around in your head and the other instruments kind of pan a little bit, um, maybe not from channel to channel, but at least a little up and down in the channel. And uh, this is a great little production. I think it's one of the better produced songs on the, song, on the album. Well produced, well mixed, cool catalog of sounds that get incorporated here, running the gamut. And it, this is a long song, seven minutes. I believe it's the longest, it is the longest song on the whole album, mm-hmm. which again, yeah. to end this album on a long song, I don't know that that's common or not, but it seems like an interesting choice. You know, I want to say it was in the '70s, especially you know when sure. the when the el- idea of albums when came around Side because two he, was an entire track, yeah, yeah, like Indagata Davida and uh, you know Clot Two's Little Rock Neutrinos, like eight Oral. minutes. Uh, I think Al Stewart's uh, Past, Present, and Future is that ends on Nostradamus, which is like eight and a half minutes, if not nine minutes sure. long. It's just crazy that they, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of the super long song at the end, but um, you know. This one, along with Glimmer, kind of carried on just a little bit too much, even though I found more, one one more hour, kind of more musically uh, intriguing. And I felt like it took, you know, a couple different flows along with it. Maybe it wasn't like four different parts, like certain songs on the album, but it feels like this one kind of flowed pretty nicely. But it it's like you said, kind of like a, a lot for the ears to handle in one listen. I like the story behind it, too, in addition to the music. And... The theme I took away was this is largely he's basically saying as long as I can continue to be me and who I am, I can continue to do this mm-hmm. kind of grasp grappling with that idea of fame and being now in a spotlight and every release from here on out is going to have more criticism. But as long as he can kind of shut that out and just focus and be truly who he is, I think he's going to be OK. And. I picture this song it almost seems like it takes place I like to picture this taking place one hour before he hits the stage so he's about mm-hmm. to going on stage um, there's a line in there batter up before you go out there to me I kind of see that as like before you go out on stage I could spend one more hour here or maybe he's right before he's going to go on stage but he's he's comfortable he's in a zone he's like I could just spend another hour here and spend some time alone by myself mm-hmm. I, just kind of want to be here for one more hour before I have to go out and face the world and, and do this thing, but I'll be okay. Definitely. You know, that's a great read into that. I didn't see that at all. So that was a uh, no, great read into it. Cause I would imagine that that time before going on stage just, just feels wonderful to them, you know, and just like, okay, this is, this is me in my moment. I got to get ready for this. And then the, the, the desire behind it has got to be uh, wonderful too. Shall we uh shall we stop the slow rush at all? I think that's the end. I think the needle has lifted up off that album. So uh now we want to go into our review, the six string review. Ben, do you want to tee it off, my friend? You got it. 
So overall, this album largely focused on time. It runs through, I guess, you'd call this a concept album, would you not? Yes, I definitely would say this, this, this holds up. Because it's got a central running theme, and that theme is time. Um, I think it explores a lot of cool new sounds. I think some of these songs are great. I think the mixing is excellent. I think in some regards, though, it sounded kind of sonically similar to Currents, um, which I do like. I think that's a good album. That one, Currents, took me a few plays to really get into, and I think this one is kind of the same route. I didn't necessarily love this album the first time I heard it, but it grew on me more and more, and I think it will continue the more I listen to it. Um, I think Possumus, Forgiveness, On Track, Lost in Yesterday are some really great tracks. Uh, to me, Glimmer, Tomorrow's Dust were kind of busts. Didn't really care for those ones. Like I said, the f- mixing is phenomenal on this album. I think that bumped it up for me in my final string rating. The drums are superb throughout this. And like I said, Kevin talked a lot about that and how important rhythm in drums are to him more so than almost anything else. Overall, thought it was a real I thought it was a good album. Good album, good tracks. So I'm giving this one a four sharp. I think it gets knocked down for not totally exploring a new sound and going down a new path and being a little similar to currents, but four sharp. Again, for those of you who don't know, we rate out of six strings, and then you can add a sharp, meaning like a plus, or a flat, meaning like a minus. So three would be an average album. So this is still, I think, an above average album for me. Misses in a few points, but like I said, put on some headphones or listen to some nice speakers, and mm-hmm. whether you want to smoke or not, go for it and listen to this album. You won't be disappointed. Oh, so you're telling me to go smoke and listen to the album rather than give you my review? Gosh, what a great co-host you are. I'm I love this. Wow. <laughs> well, we're on the same uh, we're on the same uh, kind of street here with this uh, selection here. Uh, I gave it a four f- sharp as well. I think um, sonically and kind of there's some touches of the album that did sound a little bit too much like Currents. And so what I used, you know, what I saw from Inner Speaker to Lonerism was a nice little jump, and then from Lonerism to Currents was a really good jump and a very different approach. Um, this one just didn't jump as high enough um, from Currents, but I would say that the concept album aspect of it definitely lets it hold up so that it's not exactly like um, what we thought we saw with Currents. So there was some quite a bit of difference from Currents, uh, from song to song. Like I said, Instant Destiny is probably one of my favorite songs off this album. Posthumous Forgiveness is up there. And then, of course, Lost in Yesterday. Uh, that song is just like so groovy and wonderful. Um Really, uh, four sharp, I think, is a very good rating with this one. Um, I would definitely give Currents probably a five flat, and then Lonerism probably a five flat as well. So it's within that same group of like the other four albums in my book. So this one is definitely, I think, a very good Tame Impala um, uh, product out there. I think uh, this one you can definitely sit down and listen to anytime. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely one that deserves to be replayed in the future and listened to again i'm i'm happy to have it in my collection yeah i'm not i'm not disappointed at all having it in my collection and not disappointed at all that we seen them in bonnaroo can't wait 2020 can't wait to so. announce more of the details as we get closer and what's going to be going on and if any of you will be at bonnaroo we'd love to meet up with you and maybe get you on the podcast 
So yeah. if you know you're going to be there, hit us up and we'll work it in. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to party with you, have a couple cocktails. We might have some other libations and it will just be fun to hit, talk music with a lot of people and uh, from all around the world. So coming to Bonnaroo, it's going to be sweet. It's going to be sweet. Yeah. So I think the needle's lifting off the record off of this podcast. So folks, we were going to be seeing you a week from today. Ben, any last words? Goodbye. Chowder. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show again. If you get any value or you like this episode in any capacity, share this with just one other person. Be greatly appreciated. You can also find us at On The Record Music on Instagram, or you can email us at ontherecordmusicpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.